are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve both. And now, let's listen in to this week's sermon. If you happen to have the uh, version app loaded on your uh, iPhone or iPad, whatever you have, uh, you can find a lot of the notes. We'll be seeing some of them here. And the people online will be seeing them as well. But on your on the version app, what you do is you open it up, go to the part that says more. After you do that, you go over to the left side. There's a place that says events. You click on events, and if you don't, if you haven't already subscribed, you would just put in Freedom Fellowship NWA Northwest Arkansas, and then that should pop up the notes and scripture we'll be going through today. But uh, for those of you that don't have that and you have your scripture with you, we're going to be spending our time in 1 Kings, the 17th chapter, if you want to find it. That's where we're going to be today. David Boer, a friend of the church, is here this morning, stepped out for a minute, but he's going Wednesday to have a heart cath. He's had some previous heart surgeries, so be in prayer for him Wednesday as the doctors try to understand why... Uh, that he's short of oxygen and, and having to work sometimes to, to, to breathe as well as he should. So scripture's full of stories that, uh, about how people met the Lord, about how they came to the Lord. Uh, some surrendered by listening to the inspired word of Jesus. And we see, we, we see and read stories about how they did that when, as he preached, how their lives would be changed. Some of the conversions that are in Scripture are, are more dramatic. You know, we know there were ones where there was a voice from the sky. We know there were ones where the, where the person was blinded, talking about Paul in those instances. And uh, we, we know there were stories where the, the people would be so touched, these men, these apostles and disciples would be so touched that they would leave their families and they would leave their occupations to go follow him and all the uncertainty it had, but they were committed because of the relationship that they saw in this man, this man Jesus. For those of us sitting here this morning, if you, if you are a Christian, your conversion story may be somewhat different. It'll be different as we went person to person about, about when and how you met Jesus and who introduced you to him. Some were raised in the church like I was, and, and that was kind of the normal thing you did. Some of you came to, to know Christ as an adult. Some of you may have been exposed to him as a young person, but really in your adulthood you started to realize how real it was and understand what that commitment was. Some came to know in, in a dramatic fashion, and they were literally rescued from circumstances, and they were rescued from that circumstance to become a believer, to become a Christian. So if we chose to serve the Lord, and I sure hope that you have. If you're sitting here today, if not, we need to talk about that. But if you chose to serve the Lord and you've had the opportunity, those opportunities to serve often comes quite differently. I know that the uh, gospel writer James, he made this statement. He said that faith without works is dead. Another way that I might say that would be this that faith without works really is no faith at all. Because if we have faith, we understand that what we want to do is we want to present that to others. We want others to share in what we have. We want them to see 
and have the opportunity for eternal life and even a better life here on earth. Isaiah in chapter 6, we've been following a thread through Isaiah chapter 6 through this last four weeks. And, and Isaiah was given a difficult mission. God had a difficult mission that needed to be accomplished. And he asked Isaiah the question. He said, he said who will go for us? And Isaiah said this. He said, Lord, here I am. Send me. So if we think about it and we see that opportunity, some do what Isaiah did. I mean, if you think about what he did, God says, who are we going to send? He said, pick me, pick me. That's what he said. And for some of us, when we see opportunity in front of us, that's the same thing we do. We serve, we volunteer, we jump in, we get in with both feet. We're committed to it. Others surrender sometimes in quite different ways. Sometimes it's in duress. They're just in a tough time of life. Some come to know the Lord because of perhaps some tragedy that occurs. Some I would call what I call a foxhole syndrome, having a little bit of military background where sometimes I I know there were people who were in in foxholes and they were under fire and all they did is they just made the prayer and said, Lord, you know, I don't, I, I, I'll do anything you want. I'll give my life to you. I'll serve you. Just get me out of here alive. Some came to know the Lord that way. Some perhaps it was because you were exposed to faith and a Christian belief by somebody else. And for some of us, it's because our life actually hit rock bottom. It hit the bottom and we said, I don't want to stay here. There has to be something better than this. And they turned to Christ. For some of us, when we serve God, and, and again, it's hard, to, it's hard not to link. I mean, we have the knowledge and we accept him, but it's hard then to accept him and not also want to serve him. Those things kind of go hand in hand. And for some, serving God is, is, is a sweet surrender. Lord, what is it that you want me to do? I'll step up. What is it that you want me to do? Some of us, service comes kicking and screaming. You know, we realize we need to do it. We want to do it. We understand that should be an obligation, but please don't ask me. I don't want to do it. I don't have the time, whatever the circumstances are. And frankly, some in this cultural Christianity world we live in will choose not to serve at all. It's easier to ignore it. But it would be hard to imagine that prophet Isaiah we talked about when he said, when God said, who are we going to send? And he said, hey, pick me, pick me, send me. It'd be hard to imagine that Isaiah would have said, God, I would, but you know what? My life is really busy right now. I am just covered up with stuff. You can't imagine how much I got going on. Sorry, but I'm just going to have to say no right now. Hard to believe that he would say that. Well, this obscure character today that we're going to talk about, they probably come more in the kicking and screaming category as God entered their life. But that's who we're going to talk about today. Now, I don't know if you know this scriptural person, but how many of you have ever heard in scripture of Betty No Name? Anybody? Hold up your hand. Betty No Name. All right, got a couple. Got a couple. So see, Betty, we're going to do a flyover first over Elijah. You heard we sang the song of Elijah this morning. We're going to do a quick flyover of a little bit of Elijah because that's what sets the stage for us to get to know Betty No Name. 
It's set in Israel and Judah, the lands of Israel and Judah. And this is about 850 years, give or take, before Jesus' time here on earth. Our story of Elijah the prophet opens up this window to this obscure person in 1 Kings chapter 17, and this anonymous character that we call Betty No Name. I call her anyway. We intersect the story in 1 Kings 17, and it starts out in the first verse. We're actually going to pick it up in what we're going to read in a minute in verse 7. But what we know is, is there's this guy, this King Ahab. Well, King Ahab was a king. He was an Israeli king. And King Ahab had decided it would be a great idea to, to get hooked up with this lady from Tyre, which was a neighboring hostile country. And what he would do is if he could, if he could form an alliance, if he could marry this lady, then all, then all things would be better and they could live in peace. Well, sound like a pretty good formula. Now, as a little tip off, let me tell you what this lady's name was. Her name was Jezebel. Now, you may not know much about Jezebel, but chances are if you lived on this life, this, this earth very long, and you're some of the, the more senior in life, you've heard people say, well, she's a Jezebel. Well, see, Jezebel, what she did, and she, she came, she, she became part of, uh, she became married to a King Ahab, and then promptly what she decided to do is she decided to import her faith, her gods, her idols into the place where the jealous God lived, brought that into Israel and to Judah. Now, understand that what happened after this was when, when the, the prophet Elijah went to Ahab and he said, here's what's going to happen. He says that ne- there will be neither dew nor rain fall. In other words, we're going to have a terrible drought. We're not going to have dew or rain until I decide to do it. Not Ahab decided to do it, but until Elijah the prophet spoke. Now you can imagine that wasn't a very popular prophecy at the time. Imagine walking into the king, and the kings could do whatever they wanted to, and he walked into the king and he said, you know, there's not going to be any rain. You're living outside of God's best. You've brought these idols in. That's absolutely not what we're supposed to do. And so God told him, he said, you know, Elijah... There's times you've got to use good sense. Here's what you better do. You need to take flight. You need to go. And he told him, he said, now what you need to do is I want you to, to go hide in a ravine. It was near Jordan, near the Jordan River. And he said, I want you to go hide in this ravine, and there you'll have water. And he said, after that, then the ravens will bring food to you. So Elijah did exactly what God said. He left just under the cover of darkness, I'm sure, went to the ravine, to preserve his life, God sent him there, and he would have water and food. Now pick me up in chapter 17, verse 7. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Here's where we go. Sometimes, sometime later, the brook, so this is, he had sent him to the brook to where he'd have water, but then sometime later, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. So in other words, the drought's happening, that Elijah had told Ahab about. Then the word of the Lord came to him. It said, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her. Now, 
I don't know this is scriptural. Might, you might be able to find it in one of the later translations. But I can see him. At, he's at the gate, and he realizes this is probably the woman because she's kind of the obvious person. And I can hear him kind of going, Betty, Betty, whoo, over here. I'm the guy. I'm the guy that God's sending to you. And I suspect she looked pretty crazy at him. And he asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and he said, Oh, Betty, he said, by the way, while you're over there, he said, would you bring me a piece of bread as well? Bring me a piece of bread. Well, see, God sent Elijah, and, you, you know, I'm thinking, he sent him out to a place where there was food. He sent him out to there was a place where there was water. But now he's sending him to this widow. Now, what we're going to find out, I want to read verse 12 and come right back to this thought. It says this, As surely as the Lord your God lives, this is the woman speaking to him, she replied, I don't have any bread. So I'm, I'm Elijah. God's told me to go there. And the first thing I do is I find the woman, seemingly that's the woman, but she tells me, oh, by the way, I don't have any bread. So he's thinking, I'm going to this rescue mission. That's where God's headed me. I'm going to this rescue mission. But in the reality, I think what I've found is a distressed widow in the process. But see, what happens a lot of times, and I think this is important for us, these circumstances arise, and we see them in Scripture. We see them in our lives, and these, these things arise. But what it does, it gives God a chance to be God. It, it gives God a chance to do something that we can't do for ourselves. And how many times does that happen to us? So she has, she, has, she has no bread. Now, she sounds like a believer, but listen to what, what she just said. She said, as surely, this is back in 12, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Notice what she said, as surely as your God lives. But he still, he sent her, he sent him to this widow so that she could feed him and keep him alive. Then it goes on, it says, she said, I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little, a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son. I gotta love this line. This is a positive statement that we may eat it and die. Uh, yeah, I'm Elijah going, okay, this is, this, this is going to be a train wreck. He probably didn't because he was a man of faith. But if it's me, I'd have thought this is a train wreck. This, I'm, I surely got hooked up with the wrong woman here. This can't be right. So what we have is we have a desperate woman because she's saying this is our last meal. We have a desperate man who's taken flight literally for his life. And we have a desperate situation. Now, any way you look at it, that's a lot of desperate, right? Some of us live in desperate times. Some of us today live in desperate times. But there's a lot of desperate in this situation. So here's a question for you. You'll see this in, as you're following along with us if you're on uh, the U version or if you're online with us today. It's, it's just, this is a question. Do you believe that if God asks you to do something, that he will provide you the resources to do it? Let me ask you again. Do you believe if God asks you to do something, that he will provide you the resources to do it. Because, see, that's kind of what we're faced with with Elijah. 
Some of you nodding your heads. Yeah, I do. Some of you kind of going, well, I don't know. I don't know if I have evidence of that or not. But let's see what God does for Betty's resources. Because what we know is she has virtually no resources. God is going to have to act. This is what we know. We know that God sent Elijah to her, that it wasn't an accident. He directed her to her. He told him, told him this is who you're going to be looking for. We know that they've made this connection now. They found each other as he sent, her to, as he sent Elijah to the village. And Elijah was confident that God would provide resources. See, it appears to me that when God sees things, that he sees them differently and a different lens than we do. I think a lot of times when we look at, at what, what, it, what we're seeing, we look at things almost like a keyhole, if you know what I mean, in a door. You know, you look through a keyhole, and, and all you can see is just a small picture of what's immediately in front of you. But God sees things with a panoramic lens, as he is with Betty. In verse 13, he goes on, he says, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as I have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. Pretty bold statement, right? She just told him, she said, I have enough for one last meal for me and my son, and then we're just going to die. It's over. Well, he's bold enough. He said, oh, by the way, don't do that for yourself. Make a small loaf for me. I'm really hungry. But again, it gives God a chance to be God. And then it goes on, he says, and then, he, and then make something for yourself and for your son. She's thinking, well, how am I going to do that? For this is the, what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on this land. Remember, they're in the drought. Well, see, oftentimes we have to take a step of faith. Some of you can testify in your life that you've had to do that. Sometimes we have to take a step of faith as Betty did. You know, she didn't know the guy from Adam. But yet he's, she's, she's taken a step of faith doing what, she, what he has said. Because behind the scenes, in this panoramic view that Jesus has, behind the scenes, God is preparing the ground for what he's going to do. Happens in our life too. A lot of times we're in the middle of what looks like a really big mess to us, but the reality is if we're trying to serve God, if we're trying to listen to him, he is preparing the ground for what's ahead of us. In verse 15, she went, she went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, it didn't go dry, and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord had spoken to Elijah. That'd been something, wouldn't it? Just knowing that every day you went back, the thing was full again. Food was still there. In 17, sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse, and finally he stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Why did you come here? I mean, do I really need you in my life? Uh, understand, now, She's being fed by this, this jug and this jar of food that's still continuing to replenish itself. Or did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Now some of us, I, don't, I wouldn't say all of us, but some of us, we have Betty's tendency. 
And Betty's tendency was to look for the worst in a circumstance. Some of us do that. Some of us kind of look at a circumstance and our, and our mind immediately goes to what the worst case scenario is. Betty's thoughts immediately went to being, I'm a victim. I, I'm evidently to blame and, and Elijah's to blame and my son's going to die. And you're here because you're going to kill my son and you're going to remind me of my own sin, whatever that was. It goes on in 19, give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him and he, and from his arms, he carried him to the upper room where he was staying and he laid him on the bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am that I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Notice that's a question mark. He wasn't saying you did that. He's asking God, did you do that? Did you bring me here for, for this tragedy to occur? Then it goes on to 21. Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child, and he carried him down to the room and into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are, in fact, a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is true. See, his actions and his testimony of now let this lady understand that God is being God. You know, she's, she's been through some things, she's seen some things, and now she's seen literally a resurrection of her own child. She understands that what came out of Elijah's mouth about what the Lord said, in fact, was truth. So see, this obscure character we're talking about, in which we really don't know her real name, right? I, I like Betty, I like Betty, no name. I don't know if you guys do, but... We don't know who it is, but she's tucked in this chapter or two of the Old Testament, but her story still holds a lot of information for us today. Betty was willing to be used as a vessel. I just ask you the question, are you willing to be used as a vessel? God's given us a lot. He gave us a son. He died for us. You know, our, our sins can be forgiven. We, we can internal inherit life, eternal life. We can... We can live a life that's more full here on planet Earth. But she was willing to be a vessel for God's use, are you? Like most of us, she still had concerns and worries and reservations. You know, we're human, right? Stuff creeps in, and we have questions, and we, and we have wonders, and she had those. But God sent, it, sent Elijah there to save Elijah, but the end result, it had a lot more to do with the woman and Betty and the family. See, we're often ministered to by being ministers. Let me try to say that a little more plainly. Oftentimes when we minister to somebody, then we get this, this ministry that occurs to us. It comes back and it, it fills our heart, and we see the good that it's done. We're blessed by it. See, we don't know anything about Betty. We don't know what happened after this. It would be a great story if, what, if I could stand up here and tell you. So Betty's son survived, and my goodness sakes. What he did was he went on and, and, and he developed a ministry 
of resurrecting people because in his life he had been resurrected. He wrote several books of the Old Testament. He was a powerful minister and a preacher of the word. But see, we don't know any of that stuff. I don't, I, we don't have any idea what happened to her after this, never mentioned again. We don't know anything about the kid. But here's some things we do know. That even though in despair, Elijah's life was important to God, okay? If you're here today and, and there's any despair in your life, it's important for you to know that your life, just like Elijah's, is important to God. And see, what he did is he sustained Elijah through this tough time. Eli- I mean, you know, at this, at this point, what had happened, Jezebel told Ahab, you send people out and you go find him and you kill this man because he, in fact, is responsible for killing the 300 priests of Tyre that I brought with me for the idols. But see, he would, he, God was going to sustain Elijah. And he can sustain us in the times we're in despair. See, Betty thought she was an innocent and a desperate bystander. You know, when you think about her, she kind of, okay, you know, I guess I'm going to get this feeling I'm supposed to help this guy or whatever she thought. But see, she was blessed not only by her own survival. Remember what she was going to do? They were just going to have one last meal, eat and die. But she was blessed not only by her survival, but the resurrection of her son. And see, that's no different than it is today because God wants to bless us. He wants to bless you. We're, he's, you know, we're, the, we're his child. Why wouldn't you want that? Garth talked about that, you know. Why, why, do, you, why do you want to do this, you know? Well, why do you tell me? Why, why can't I have my own opinion? And it's kind of the old line, well, because I'm the parent. Well, see, God's the parent. God's word will not be diluted. Now, there's people trying to do it. But the reality for us is that's not the way it works. God wants to bless you, but we need to cling to his holy word in the process. And he'll provide resources when we're called to serve him. And sometimes we wonder about resources. We wonder, well, he, you know, he wants me to do this, but I mean, I mean, it takes time, talent, ability, all those kind of things. And so is he really going to do that for me? But if, when God calls you, he's going to give you the resources in some form or some fashion. But see, most of all, most of all, what God wants us to do is he wants us to surrender. He wants us to surrender. And see, we live in a, we live in a, a culture, and maybe it's not different than 100, 200 years ago. I just don't know. I didn't live then. But I do know now that, that, that he wants us to surrender because what we want to do is we want to be the kid in the relationship and continue to tell the parent, no, let me explain to you what's best for me. Let me explain to you, God, what's best for me. Let me explain to you, God, that your ways, your methods, the things you wrote down, those are old-fashioned. They don't really count anymore. Don't you understand that the world has changed? But see, that's not surrender. Surrender is when we say to God, take me, use me, mold me, do what you want with me, Lord. I give my life to you. I don't want to run it myself anymore. I want you to operate my life for me, 
and let me be just the vehicle to accomplish your will. Pray with me as our praise team comes back up to close us. Father, we do uh, we just thank you so much for the day you've given us. And Lord, we, we run into these obscure characters like Betty. And Father, uh, you, you didn't just put those in there for filler. You know, uh, God, for many of us, we've written theme papers and we've written uh, papers for school and things like that. And we, we had like three pages we were supposed to turn in, but we only had a page and a half. So we just put some other stuff in there. But God, your word is not like that. Your, your, your word is all valuable to us. This story of Betty, even absent the name, this story of Betty helps us to understand that the story of Elijah, how much you care for us, how much you want us to surrender, how much you will sustain us, how much you care for us. And Father, I pray as we go this week, if there's any that have not surrendered, whether they're here or whether they're watching online, I pray, Lord, that they'll seek somebody out if they're not in this, in this environment. They'll seek somebody out to say, I'm ready to not run my life anymore. I want God, I want you to be in charge. I acknowledge you're the parent and I'm the child. And just help me, Father, again, just to surrender my will and use me as a vessel. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.